It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, December 13th, 2017, and you're listening to God and Comics, the greatest superhero team-up since that time that Archbishop Fulton Sheen joined the X-Men to fight a giant evil robot who was spreading bad catechesis. On today's show, we talk about the new Justice League film. We'll compare it with other recent superhero films and ask important questions about goodness, resurrection, and whether or not Aquaman was extreme enough. And as always, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Jonathan Michikin. I am assistant chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm a rector of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line, as always, is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. No need for any further ado. Why don't we just jump right on into our recommendation? Father Matt, what do you got for us this time? I'm pretty excited about this uh, recommendation. I discovered this, I guess it was sometime over the summer, when the first volume uh, trade paperback was released and and, uh, I I just happened to see it on the shelf at the comic store and I was I was gripped by it it's called Black Hammer and it's published by Dark Horse and the author is Jeff Lemire who's uh, I I think one of the best writers in, in comics currently he's written Essex County he's sort of well known for his and then Sweet Tooth, published by Vertigo. He, he wrote Animal Man for the uh, New 52, which I really enjoyed. He's done the Justice League. He's also worked at Marvel Comics. He's done Hawkeye. He did, and, uh, uh, he did Justice Knight. League Dark. He, he really he got that going. He also did Justice League Dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, he did that one. Uh, he's, he's just done a lot of really kind of cool stuff. The artist is Dean Ormston. I think that's how you say his name. His artwork was familiar to me. He, he, he's drawn for Lucifer uh, from Vertigo, which I've recommended in the past, and The Sandman, uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, and uh, some stuff for uh, Judge Dredd and, 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 and stuff like that. It's, it's a really interesting kind of indie, kind of naturalistic, sketchy style, but it also has this kind of classic feel to it. The series is an offbeat kind of take on the superhero mythos. If you're a fan of Astro City, like I know you are, Father Kyle, you would probably appreciate this because it kind of plays with the superhero tropes of the Golden Age and, and the Silver Age, but in, 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 a, in a sort of offbeat way. Here's the premise. There's this continuity-changing multiversal event like DC and Marvel do from time to time. There's this battle with a mega supervillain kind of reminiscent of Darkseid, and his name is the Anti-God. All the heroes of the kind of fictional spiral city, you know, have to come together and join forces to battle this threat. And um, in the battle they defeat the the villain but they mysteriously vanish 
they're written out of continuity, <laughs> as it were. So the the series picks up with them all living together on a farm in a small Canadian town. And, and they've been there for a number of years. I think they've been there for almost a decade. And they could like, kind of move about through the town, but they can't leave. They're kind of stuck in the town. And, and, and the town is sort of, you know, a quaint little uh, place, kind of idyllic in a lot of ways, but it, it, it's, it's nothing's going on. Um, so they're kind of like this dysfunctional family that are living under the same roof and on this farm. And, and, and the members of the, the, the cast of characters, there's Abraham Slam, who is sort of like the aging uh, Captain America type character. Uh, he looks like he stepped out of the off the page of, of like a golden age superhero book. And he's sort of the most at home in this small town. In fact, he's kind of loving it. You know, he spent his whole life as a hero and now he could kind of relax and he likes the small town life and, and, and the environment. But it's not so easy for everybody else. For instance, there's the character Golden Gale. Now, Golden Gale is sort of like Captain Marvel, Shazam. She got her powers when she was a child, little girl. And when she says a magic word, she turns into Golden Gale, a superhero. But here's the thing. She's grown up. Her, her, her secret identity is, is, is in her late 50s. But when she's a superhero, she turns back into a child. And when she was swept into this other world and stuck in this small town, she's now stuck as Golden Gale. So she's a 59-year-old woman stuck in the body of, like, a 10-year-old girl. And so, you know, she's kind of going to school and everything, but it's kind of amusing because she's, like, she curses, she drinks, she smokes, <laughs> you know. And then there's uh, Colonel Weird, who's sort of like an Adam Strange, Doctor Strange type figure. He's like this space explorer. And uh, he could kind of leave the farm at will, but or, or else he could drift into the para world. or, or the, It's not kind of like the Phantom Zone or something like that. But so he's kind of, it makes him kind of crazy. And he's like, like a mumbling old man with like a long beard and fingernails and, and, and he's wearing a space suit. He's a really intriguing character. And he has a robot, kind of like Robbie the Robot or something like that. It's kind of like this old 1950s robot called Talkie Walkie who, you know, in his years of being alone in a spaceship has become sort of like a wife to him. And so Talkie Walkie is kind of like a housewife. She's like cooking like pies and stuff like that. And then there's Barbalian, who's pretty darn similar to the Martian Manhunter. He, he's, he's an alien that uh, came to Earth, and he was disguised as a police officer. But the intriguing kind of twist of Barbalian is he's also uh, a closeted gay man, and, and he's not told anybody about this. So... At the same time, he is uh, this alien, a stranger in a strange land. He also feels isolated from everybody because of his sexuality and because of this enormous secret that he has 
uh, hanging over him all the time. And then there's Madame Dragonfly, who's sort of like this supernatural type. She's kind of like a witch, and she stays to herself. In fact, she has this cabin of horrors that, that came with her. And she's kind of like the crypt keeper, or like, you know, like the host of like a horror comic, you know. Um, but there's a lot more to her that they get into her backstory. It's really pretty intriguing. So the characters are just very vivid, uh, very three-dimensional. And who's Black Hammer? Well, we don't even meet Black Hammer until seven issues in. Uh, you're just sort of like, why is it called Black Hammer? I won't tell you much about him because that's sort of a spoiler, but I, I think volume two's out now too. And it's just one of these books that will, will hook you immediately and just really draw you in. Uh, highly recommended. Sounds interesting. And now a word from our sponsor. Cotton Comics is proud to be sponsored by The Living Church. For over 139 years, The Living Church magazine has been providing news, commentary, and analysis to members of the Episcopal Church. Today, TLC continues that mission and also provides theological reflection on books, music, art, and even popular culture through the magazine and through the Covenant blog. And TLC isn't just for Episcopalians. TLC covers the whole of the Anglican building relationships between communion-minded Christians of all stripes and denominations. As the masthead of the magazine says, TLC's goal is to be truly Catholic, evangelical, and ecumenical. Be sure to go to livingchurch.org. Now it's time for our main discussion, and we're going to be talking today about the Justice League film. It's been out a few uh, weeks now, and I think all of us have had a chance to take a look at it. So let me start by asking what you guys thought of the film. Let's start with you, Father Kyle. What did you think of Justice League? I thought that it was a good movie. Not great. I thought it was a good movie. There were a lot of parts of it that I very much enjoyed. There were some things that I felt were a little bit off. On a whole, you know, I walked away from it thinking I had a fun time when I watched it. Upon further reflection on it, though and sort of reading some news stories, I'd probably give it about a B (laughs) if I had to grade it. I felt like they did a good job of correcting some of the overly dark feel that the DC movies, aside from Wonder Woman, have had up to this point. I felt they added a little bit more humor into it, which was nice. I think there were some holes in the story, and as I... stuff on the original vision that Zack Snyder had for the movie before they brought Joss Whedon in. Um, I think they were going in a different direction and they edited back some, some key bits about Darkseid and the Green Lantern Corps that they were intending to bring in. I did feel that the movie had a little bit too much of a feel at times of the Avengers, <laughs> and I think that was the imprint of Joss Whedon on it. Marvel and DC have different tenors to them, and I crossed a line into the Marvel Universe just ever so slightly. But, you know, as I said, my, my impression overall was that it was a pretty enjoyable film, and I, I'd give it a B. Father Matt, uh, is Father Kyle on the right track, or do you have a different opinion? 
Yeah, I, I, I think I almost pretty much agree with, with Father Kyle. I, I went in with super low expectations. In fact, um, like Father Kyle said, I had, I had a pretty good time. I, I, I thought the movie was enjoyable, actually. And so, I, I don't know, I, I, I haven't thought what, you know, what I would grade it. I'm not someone who like takes, you know, like a, a, a an album or a movie or a piece of art and like, oh, I give it a B plus. Like, I could do better or something. But, <laughs> but I, 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 I might give it higher than a B. You know, I, I thought it was a huge improvement on Batman v Superman. It wasn't nearly as good as Wonder Woman, but it was fun. I didn't expect it to have much humor to it. They did a good job lightening things up a bit. You know, I walked away from it, like, wanting to see the next one. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty successful. But also, like Father Kyle said, it's kind of derivative. It's definitely trying to piggyback on the Avengers. I mean, um, Batman, you know, with Barry Allen, is just kind of strangely reminiscent of Tony Stark visiting Peter Parker. <laughs> Uh, they made Aquaman into like Aquaman's kind of like the biker dude. He's kind of like Thor, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then and then they also kind of you know it, it, you you will almost laugh out loud at, at some of the it has to be intentional the kind of Lord of the Rings bit with uh, the mother boxes you know rings like one ring to bind them you know um, so it's kind of derivative in that department too. But nevertheless, a, a pretty fun movie. It looked really cool. Actually, I've, I thought Batman was awesome in it. For all the grief Ben Affleck got, I think he's a pretty cool Batman. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see Batman in more of a superhero mode. You know, that being said, out of, out of the uh, recent Batmans, he's probably more in the Adam West territory as far as his physique goes. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was pretty fun. And, and it's kind of thrilling to see some of the Easter eggs and references to uh, Kirby Fourth World and stuff like that, which uh, I was actually a little disappointed they didn't, we didn't see more of that uh, more explicitly. Well, um, I think you guys both enjoyed this film considerably more than I did. Now, part of my problem may be that I saw it at 10.30 in the morning in an almost empty theater. But I felt like if, if, if we do it from a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being Wonder Woman and 1 being Man of Steel, for me this was like a solid 3.5, maybe 4. It was like... Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I would say, like, if... if Suicide Squad was like a five, maybe. Oh, it was. This was like a four. Uh, well, so he- here, here's the thing. I, y- yes, they tried to do this movie somewhat differently, probably mostly after the fact, right? You know, after Joss Whedon came in, and they, they, you know, they just sort of started to try to steer it in a different direction. My feeling is that. They attempted to do that, and it didn't work. Like, I felt like the humor didn't really land. I didn't laugh at anything in this movie. Um, again, that part of that may be 10.30 in the morning, and if it was a theater full of people, maybe people would have laughed, and that would have made me laugh. 
but it just it just didn't it didn't feel you know I mean I could feel the sort of Whedon-esque effort being made in a few places but it you know it just didn't quite land for me and part of the problem I think so there there are two major problems with this film first of all that it is way overloaded with freight in what it is, in what it needs to do right here you've got a movie that is supposed to be now i mean in some ways this is the problem that batman v superman had it was like okay you've got to create a, the first batman film in this new thing you've got to make a superman sequel you've got to introduce wonder woman for the first time and oh yes you've got to tell a story at the same time justice league has that problem squared right You've got to do uh, a new Superman film. You've got to do another Batman film. You've got to do another Wonder Woman film. You've got to introduce The Flash. You've got to introduce Cyborg. You've got to introduce Aquaman. And, oh, by the way, you've got to also tell some sort of a story with this whole thing. And you've got to figure out some way to bring, and I, you know, spoiler alert, friends, bring superman back from the dead and you've got like i mean there's just like so many things that had to be accomplished in this thing um it's a rush job yeah and it's just 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 uh-huh. not enough space uh you know within which to do all of that so that's like problem number one and i think problem number two um and part of this is it you know it's just suffering from all those things i just mentioned leaves very little time for this but I don't expect superhero movies to have the most intricate and developed plots ever made, right? Like, I'm willing to suspend disbelief pretty strongly for these things. This movie went beyond not having a plot. I have absolutely no idea why this bad guy did the stuff he did, what the point of it was... (laughs) Why why suddenly Batman thought he had to get all these people together in the first place? Why what they did to fight the bad guy actually worked? Like, I mean, there is literally no step along the way in this film where I thought, well, that makes sense. Like, none of it made any sense. And <laughs> even down to the level of character, right? Like, I felt, you know, I mean... Father Matt, you were saying you felt like this movie did Batman better. And, you know, I'm not a hater on Ben Affleck. I actually like a lot of stuff that Ben Affleck does. And I'm not I'm not going to blame him for the problems of his character necessarily. But I felt like Batman made no sense in this movie. Like, you know, here you've got the world's greatest detective and skeptic uh, and somebody who just, you know, uh, has a... Has a fierce code of conduct that he lives by right sort of ethical world that he lives in all of a sudden uh, out of nowhere suggesting that you know maybe what we ought to do is uh, just be throw caution to the wind become supernatural look for a like weird answer to a problem that we didn't even know existed like it just it, it just seems so strange to me the way that he was acting in particular with a complete lack of the precision that I've gotten used to being a kind of mark of Batman. All of that being said, it wasn't as bad as some of these films have been or as it could have been, right? 
Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, those are movies that are so gosh darn bad that they're almost enjoyable in their badness, right? Like, you know, I live tweeted when I watched Batman v Superman just so I could keep up with how bad it was. This movie's not that bad. You can sit there and watch it and you can kind of just enjoy it for what it is. The special effects are pretty good. I actually kind of liked Aquaman, even though I'm also aware that, uh, well, you know, there was that meme that was going around for a while, you know, because he has a, Aquaman has a five-pointed trident in this film. And I don't know if you guys saw the, <laughs> saw the meme where, it's, where it showed yeah. a picture of that and it said the fact that Aquaman has a five-pointed trident, which makes it more extreme, but also not a trident is in one prop what is wrong with everything Zack Snyder has done. <laughs> but, you know, they, they sold that pretty well to me. Like, I actually am a little bit psyched now to, to go watch an Aquaman film, even though this Aquaman is, like, nothing at all like any Aquaman I've no. ever seen, <laughs> ever. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, so here, you know, Batman v Superman, it, it suffered from... Uh, being just kind of like a disjointed mess, you know. There, there were elements in in that film which I thought could, were kind of cool, you know. But like it just, it just, it didn't all hang together at all. If that, in fact, just felt like a mess. And here, I, I have a question for you guys. Maybe so in that movie, like there were Batman was having like visions. And yes. Stuff. It. Does that have anything to do with the Justice League movie? Like, yes. What about the scene where Batman was like in another world and like? Yeah. Does that have anything to do with it? Well, how did that play in? Yeah, that's the basis for Justice League, and that's part of what wasn't fully explained. But in the, it's called the nightmare scene with a K um, in Batman versus Superman, and um, but Batman sees. Superman having gone rogue. Nightmare with a K. Sorry, I'm still, I'm still trying to. Pro- That's extreme with an X right there. That's right. Nightmare with a K. That's right. Hey, I didn't coin it, but um, <laughs> but the uh, in that scene where Superman has now become a malevolent power in the world, the uh, parademons appear, and the parademons are the ones that attack Batman. So this vision that he has in Batman versus Superman is what sparks the catalyst for his concern at the end of that movie that with Superman now dead, could it be possible that Superman would rise and become evil? So when the parademons show up at the beginning of Justice League, the concern is that is this nightmare coming true now? Uh, So he's got to get to the, get to the root of it all. So it's got some, grounding and basis. But that makes it make even less sense how Batman responds to the situation. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll grant you that I think that um, and I read an article today that dissected the the original intent that Zack Snyder had with introducing Darkseid. So Mm -hmm. um, so Uh, Darkseid was supposed to appear at the end of the movie and Darkseid would have explained not only Steppenwolf's appearance... Um, but he would have also explained uh, what happens to Steppenwolf at the end. He would have explained the reason for the parademon showing up, the, the kind of drive that existed behind Steppenwolf's wanting to 
conquer this world because otherwise what you do have without dark side at all mentioned he was mentioned once in the movie right but what you have aside from that one mention of him is this guy who just shows up and wants to conquer a world right. he's got this weird connection to these things called mother boxes refers to them as mother yeah that's not even explained right right um, and there's a deeper story there so those things kind of leave some holes in the story that i think create these problems right as a purely comic book driven no-brainer type thing you could go in and watch it and maybe just skirt by some of that stuff but if you do stop and think about that then obviously you begin to see those yeah there there definitely seems to be a lot of holes i mean um and i haven't analyzed the film on that on that kind of level it's kind of as fun as a as a action film yeah but uh once you start looking too closely at it, it really does start falling apart. Yeah. I mean, that's um, the problem with all these movies. So this is not an original thought of mine. I think Glenn Weldon talked about this on the when the Pop Culture Happy Hour, um, NPR's Pop Culture, Pop Culture Happy Hour talked about the film. But it was definitely something that I saw as well. One of the other problems that they had to deal with in this is that they very much needed in order for the 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 twist of this film to work they very much needed superman to be thought of as a really good guy who had done essential heroic work for the world right like he was the great good hero that the world needed he was the light in the darkness and you know because he had died now that light was out that was necessary to establish. And they spent oodles of time in this film establishing this, talking about it, pointing back to it. The film opens with a scene of him talking to some children, you know, all this sort of stuff. They spent a tremendous amount of screen time in what was actually a fairly short superhero movie, it's only two hours long, dealing with this topic. And the reason I think they had to spend so much darn time on it was because they've spent the last two movies that this character has appeared in establishing the exact opposite. Superman, for his entire history, has been what they tried to make him out to be in this film. And yet in in Man of Steel and in uh, Batman v Superman, he had been this dark, brooding, godlike figure who didn't seem to care about things like actually rescuing people from harm, right? I mean, he fought a lot of bad guys, but didn't actually pay much attention to the collateral damage as the cities were coming down around him during these things. Um, Which is why Batman hates him to begin with, right? right. Uh, right. And yet, some for some reason, wants to raise him from the dead. Um, but, you know... Because they, their mothers <laughs> have the same name. Right, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> But here's but here's here's why I think this is interesting even though it's also like one of one of I think the the weak points of the film. It's interesting because the universal criticism of 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 these movies has been that they've just been so dark. And now all of a sudden there's this realization, you know, we actually need if we're going to make the hero thing work, we need to have some goodness show up here. And so even though I I, I think that you know, it it made for a hard sell for this film. I actually think that's an interesting thought that you can try to push this stuff as dark as you want to get it. And we live in a very dark era. 
And yet, at some point, there's this equilibrium that has to be hit. Like, there has to be some kind of goodness that breaks through. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because this is precisely DC Universe Rebirth happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And the movie realized that after the comic books realized it, and the comic books have done a much better job of this course correction. But um, DC recognized that their characters had gotten, especially Batman, had gotten just too dark and and at a certain point where's the hope where's the optimism that these characters once embodied and so they're seeking to fix that in the comic books of course and i think they're doing a pretty good job of it honestly but i think that in the movie they're doing too many things you you talked earlier about them you know trying to do too many things in this one film i think they're doing too many things in this franchise because they're so far behind marvel you know, what are they? They're like eight years behind Marvel, I think it is. And they want to be at the same place Marvel is. And no, you, I can't, you can't skip over a whole bunch of things in an effort to get there. No, I, I, it didn't, that's the problem. They're building this kind of film on, on some pretty rotten foundation. <laughs> um, I, but here's the thing, though. Um, it could kind of work with this whole beginning with Superman's a hero because we all know that about Superman before anybody saw the Man of Steel Superman already embodies that but if, if, if the only thing you knew about Superman was, was the Man of Steel and Batman v Superman first of all you wouldn't care about his death and it wouldn't, he, he wouldn't have been this embodiment of hope and goodness. So they kind of really had to, like Jonathan's saying, have to play catch-up. And they rely an awful lot on Superman as a cultural symbol already kind of being firmly established. I feel like this, this could have been better if they had... If, if Batman versus Superman would have been better. If the Man of Steel would have been better. I mean... Uh, but, the, you know, it, it's been one misstep after another. Um, you know, and so what they end up with, you know, I would say is actually surprisingly all right <laughs> uh, in light of that. Surprisingly all right. <laughs> yeah. But um, in, light of, in light of just, the, the, uh, you know, the mess that, that uh, they've, they've made for themselves so far, this ends up being not so bad. You know, the thing is, they've, they've gotten themselves into a place now where I'm curious to see where they can go with this. They sort of, I think they did it in a very messy fashion, uh, certainly. I think that, um, as, we're all, as we're all saying, they, they started on, as you said, Father Matt, they started on a very rotten foundation. And now they've had to get out of it. Now they're out of it. Superman's sort of back to being Superman, right? At the end of the film, I think they they put Superman back into the category that he needed to be in. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. And they kind of keep that direction. It's almost like they've got to have a little bit of amnesia about the earlier films. And I think that's what they were trying to do with that opening scene in Justice League, right? Where they're showing Superman talking with the little kid. It was almost an attempt to say, well, let's pretend we don't remember these other films. Right. And let's this is the Superman culturally you know, so now yeah. we're going to move forward with this. They could get away with it because of the Christopher Reeves films. Yes. You know? Um, and and they're, they're, they're relying on that cultural kind of, like, oh, that's Superman. I mean, that's the Superman we should have had to begin with. Yeah. But we didn't. 
Father Matt, um, you had had mentioned uh, uh, before we we got on the air uh, some parallels that you saw in in some of the themes of this film, and and as we enter into the season of Advent uh, in the church yeah. here, could you, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, this is the stuff that's kicking around in my mind going into it. Um, you know, preparing for Advent in in, in the church. Uh, you know, on the church calendar. And, and I, I was also coming into it afresh off of a, a fantastic retreat for our, the priest of our diocese led by um, theologian and preacher Fleming Rutledge. And, uh, and she spoke about Advent. It gave me a lot of ammunition for this, for this month. But one of the things that she said in her first talk, she kind of set the stage for it all. She said that Advent begins in darkness. And she kind of talked about, you know, here we are in our current cultural situation. Um, we're surrounded by so much that's just sort of depressing and dark. A lot's unraveling as far as the moral fabric of our culture goes. And that's where this movie starts. Superman's dead. And, and they kind of, they have that great, I, I love the use of the Leonard Cohen song, Everybody Knows. You yeah, know, the good guys lost. I mean, that that was spot on. I mean, that really gripped me right in the beginning. I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. Um, and then they show like the market with like the Muslim family, and there's like a skinhead or something. He kicks over the fruit stand, and he's like harassing them. And it's kind of like it's reminding us that like you know of of kind of the bleakness of our current cultural moment, and sort of like. Where is their true heroism? Then there's these, um, the de- uh, what, what are, I'm blanking on the, the dark sides. Uh, the mini- parademons. The parademons that are, are kind of like, they feed off of fear. It, isn't that what's feeding our demons right now? Fear. In the church, it's fear of losing its cultural you know, hegemony, its power, and, and it's feeding these, these demons in our, in our culture. And, you know, and we need, we need, some, we need some heroism. We need, we need heroes to rise up and uh, battle back the darkness. Uh, so I, I thought that was, that was pretty powerful. And, and it almost seemed a commentary on, on the bleakness of the, the past film, sort of like, well, you know what, like, is that what we really need right now? You know, is this really the time where we need a dark and brooding Superman? Or do we need it, the heroic Christopher Reeves Superman, the idealist, the, you know, the beacon of goodness? That's why Wonder Woman was just right, because we need Wonder Woman right now. And then the, Lois Lane kind of gives this, um, this speech monologue at the end of the film. Where she says, the truest darkness is not the absence of light, but that light will never return. But the light always returns, and hope is real. You can see it. All you have to do is look up in the sky. And then I think they show Superman or whatever. But, um, you know, that's what Advent's about. On the people that sat in darkness, a light has dawned. You know, and it's about the coming of the light, the return of the light, the first the breaking in of the light in, in, in the birth of Christ in, into our into our dark world, 
but then also the hope of the final consummation when darkness will be absolutely banished. And it's an antidote to despair um, because, like she says, the truest darkness isn't the absence of light, but it's the absence of hope, the belief that the light will never return. And Advent, I think, is about fostering in us uh, a hope that even in our darkness, there, there's a light that uh, can banish that darkness. There's, there's a hope in the future. And all you got to do is look to the sky. Isn't that? What look to the sky. Lo, he said. comes with clouds wow. descending. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That opening uh, scene that you mentioned with Everybody Knows reminded me quite a bit of the opening of the Watchmen film uh, with uh, the times they are changing and um, oh, okay, yeah. You know, yeah. so um, I don't know how much of that was uh, intentional uh, or not, but that is kind of interesting. It's a great song. I I sort of rather hear Leonard Cohen in his dark and brooding voice than Lana Del Rey singing it, but I'll I take know it. they should have used right. Leonard Cohen for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but then they couldn't have made money off of the original soundtrack. <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's true. That's true. So hope and promise of of new life, um, and maybe the the, the promise of of uh, of resurrection being a piece of this too, right? I mean, there's there's sort of a kind of an Easter theme in this uh, <laughs> in this yeah. as well, I suppose. Yeah. I certainly think that the Easter theme, you know, kind of runs through the the obvious aspect of it is that you know they resurrect Superman from the dead. But I mean, I think spoiler, there's a resurrection. Spoiler! Everybody's shocked spoiler, to hear this. I know. Yeah, <laughs> they haven't seen the Superman action figures in the store and right. everything since since early this year. <laughs> I think you know the the other resurrection that's kind of in this film is the that whole death to the dark side of things and then the resurrection to a lighter side of these superheroes i mean there's a death and resurrection taking place within the context of the film but we always play with the idea of whether superman is the jesus character or not and i know in one of our past episodes um we sort of dispelled the idea that superman's the jesus character but it always keeps popping back up and i think they played with that idea a little bit in this film you know certainly with the death and resurrection scene and then he's the one who finally triumphs over the evil in the end when he is resurrected he's resurrected differently than what he was before um you know his costume is now lighter not the the dark blue that it was before but it's sort of the more classic superman blue he's got a cheerier disposition to him than he had before he died I did find one thing somewhat interesting when questioned about his death. You, you guys remember Lois Lane asks him about what it was like being dead when they're in the cornfield. And he, his only answer to that was it was, it was unusual or, or it was odd or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, they can't say much about death there, but he comes out on the other side. So, I wonder if we'll ever see behind the scenes. Like, I mean, we kind of got get a glimpse of that in the comic books a little bit about Superman's kind of uh, near-death experience. Right. I wonder if that'll ever be a part of the film. Yeah. It'd be a 
a little much to try to squeeze it in on top. Yeah, I think that's a problem. At this point, it's too much to try and fit in. I thought Superman looked kind of funny. Like, it looked a little CGI, like, when he when he came in. And apparently the actor... Um, Henry Cavill. H- Henry Cavill uh, had a mustache when he filmed yeah. it. Right. And yeah. they, like, yeah. they, like, digitally removed it. And right. you can kind of tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read that, too, before I saw the movie, and then I was, like, looking for it. <laughs> I think... Um, oh, I, no, I, I saw it afterwards, and I said, yeah, you can kind of tell. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that, too. I, I think uh, now... I, I've been on Hulu. They have the whole series of Smallville now. And so I've been slowly working my way through it because I actually never saw Smallville when it aired originally. Uh, yeah, believe neither have I. So I, I'm just now finishing season four, about to start season five. There are ten seasons of it, so it was on for a long time. It was on um, for a very long time. So, and I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the back half of it, but I, I really enjoy it, even though it's ridiculous a lot of the time, uh, the plots and stuff. But Tom Welling who played Superman or, you know, Clark Kent, young Clark Kent does it with such integrity. And there's this, this, you know, even when he's sort of drifting into corruption or, you know, as he is wont to do from time to time, uh, there is, there's just this sense of a basic goodness that, uh, that defines him. And, you know, we're talking about goodness and hope, you know, you can kind of sense that, that there's something to have hope in. So I don't know what Tom Welling is doing right now, but maybe they should make him Superman because <laughs> well, you know I, I buy it from him. I don't buy it from Cavill. A know. lot of people were angry that he didn't play Superman on the Supergirl uh, TV show. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. That would have been I great. Mean, they but... dropped the ball. I mean, it would have been, and it would have been a great way to hook in some of the fans from Smallville. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and there there are nods in Smallville to um to, you know, I mean Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder both make guest appearances on, on that right. show. You know, so there's like little things to kind of, you know, remind you. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, in a in a very similar vein, you know, there's uh Ben Affleck has been strongly talking about how this is his last run as Batman and the whole movie The Batman has now more or less fallen in the toilet they're working on bringing it up but the talk has been that uh jake gyllenhaal is now going to replace ben affleck in this movie franchise so jake gyllenhaal yeah yeah so yeah i don't know i mean yeah and that would be a shame too because i mean if if there's one thing this franchise needs it's continuity yeah There's a lot more, I'm sure, that that we could say, and uh, we'd certainly love to hear what some of you all thought. We'd love to hear from you on social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash godandcomics, or you can tweet at us. We're on Twitter at godandcomics. But for now, we're going to move on to our final segment, This and Every Time Out, and that is This or That. This or That. This or That. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man? This or that. Spider-Man or Superman? This or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Our first one tonight goes to Father Matt, and yours is day or night. Probably day. You know, because uh, 
I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of the children of the day. Yeah. I, a I don't creature know. of the night, a dark creature. Not, not really. Not really. Jonathan, yours is the Beastie Boys or the Wu-Tang Clan? Oh, well, I'd, I'd go with the Wu-Tang Clan, I think. And that would be the entirely wrong answer. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Beastie Boys, come on, man. Like, the Beastie Boys, they had a particular moment in time, but, like... Moment. Here, here's, here's the thing about the Beastie Boys. This is the thing. I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of going out on a limb here to say this. The Beastie Boys don't actually rap all that well. Like, they're... <laughs> Their, their skills are not in, you know, that that high a level. Now, Wu-Tang Clan is all over the place, so some of those guys are, are, are you know, sharp as tacks, and some of them are less so, but, um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, any sort of rap battle scenario in which it's Wu-Tang Clan versus the Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys are going to get, get jumped. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, it is Ghostface Killer a member he of is. the He is. He is. Yeah. I, I, that guy's got some good stuff. I, I like the one about like um, she used to whip me with a strap when I was bad. <laughs> you know that one? <laughs> <laughs> about his mother. About his mother. It, used to beat him. <laughs> now. Can you do that as if Bob Dylan was covering it? He should whip me with his strap when I was bad. <laughs> there it is. There it is. All right. There it is. <laughs> Father Matt, I'm surprised that I don't think we've ever done this one before, but... Um, if we have, I apologize. Batman or Robin? <laughs> um, Batman, I, I think. Robin is kind of a cool sidekick, I guess. But, I mean, he's not Batman. <laughs> That's right. He's always living in a shadow, right? <laughs> yeah. Who's going to pick Rob? I mean, you know, nothing wrong with Robin. Robin's great and all, but, like, you know, it's like... Well, my- Let's like pick an Ed McMahon daughter, over Johnny Carson or something. Like it doesn't, you know. I think my daughter would pick Robin for sure. Oh yeah. Helen is like a huge Robin fan. She loves Robin, and uh, and maybe it's just because it's like her brother loves Batman so much, and they have to be like complimentary. Uh-huh. You know. But uh, but she's really into Robin. You know, it's funny, growing up, I always wanted to be Robin more than I ever wanted to be Batman. Is that uh, right? Yeah, I loved Robin. I, th- I thought he was the coolest. And then it's funny because then when Dick Grayson kind of grew up and became Nightwing, then my perspective started to shift, and eventually I got to this place where I liked Batman better than I liked Robin. It's like as I grew older, mm-hmm. I, I became Batman. But that, but that was, but that was Robin's purpose, right? Like the initial purpose of Robin was to be the the um, the vicarious, you know, so children could kind of vicariously live through him. Yep. I also shared the commonality that my middle name is Richard, so I always loved the fact that you know Richard mm-hmm. Grayson was oh. Richard Grayson. Right. There was my little connection. Plus, much like uh, Burt Ward, you wore tights throughout your youth. So. That's right, I did. And green booties. 
All right, Jonathan, this one is for you. You have to make a choice between going out and having dinner with one of two people. All right. B. Arthur or Nell Carter? Oh, B. Arthur. I would love to have dinner with B. Arthur. I mean, not now, you know. Um, it'd be a little <laughs> bit one-sided right now. But, yes. but can you imagine, like, what kind of bizarre dinner conversation B. Arthur would, would have with you? That would be amazing. <laughs> Nothing against Nell Carter. I'm sure she would be interesting, too, but, you know. You get to live out your Golden Girls fantasies. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I love me some Golden Girls. <laughs> so, so apparently does Cyborg on Teen Titans Go. Uh, oh really? He is always talking about the Golden Girl. <laughs> that that show is 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 bananas. It is. It's it really is. funny. It is. It is. All right, Father Matt. Candy canes or Christmas cookies? Christmas cookies. Now, candy canes are disgusting. What? <laughs> That's a bold statement. Oh, they are. I mean, they look better than they taste like when I was a kid I always thought that like oh wow they look good but then you taste it it's like (laughs) Christmas cookies on the other hand are amazing alright Jonathan yours is Joseph or Mary (laughs) uh Mary hello how is that a contest I mean you know I love St. Joseph it's good stuff you know, but Mary is Mary. Yes, she she did she's most the, of the heavy lifting. There. She's the queen. <laughs> she's right. the queen of heaven. I'm gonna go with her. The mother of God, the right? Mother of the God. Yeah. I have a, a parishioner who every year for the past uh, two two years, I think it's been, has come up to me at the beginning of Advent and say. You're going to preach about Joseph this year, right? She's like, I just absolutely love Joseph, and he never gets any of the credit. So you're <laughs> going to say something about him, right? I said, we'll, we'll have to see what the scriptures are and what the Lord gives me. I, don't, I can't answer that. Well, now, you, you know, Pope Francis uh, elevated Joseph to, he, he didn't used to appear in the liturgy, and now he does. He's, he, gets, he actually gets name-checked in the, in the Mass now. Oh, so, really? Yeah. There was this uh, a, a print hang, hanging up in this place that I used to go on retreats, and it was St. Joseph's house, and they had a print that said, um, St. Joseph, he was a husband, he was a father, he had dreams. What more is there to say? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, like, done up in, like, watercolors. <laughs> But there's not a whole lot to, uh, in, in the scriptures about Joseph. No, there's not. That's why I always find it quite difficult to say much about him. When it, I think I, I plugged something in last year, and it satisfied her. When she went away, she was like, thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go Father Matt. Elf or Christmas Vacation? I think maybe Christmas vacation, just because I have longer memories and longer associations of it. Elf is is funny though, but uh, but Christmas vacation is like classic. Yeah, uh, that's our our movie we put on while we uh, put our Christmas tree up every year. That's become a family tradition. Oh, okay. Love that movie. 
All right, Jonathan, St. Chrysostom or the Venerable Bede? Uh, I got I've got to go with St. John Chrysostom on on that one. I I'm um nothing nothing wrong with the Venerable Bede. He is after all venerable. But uh St. John Chrysostom is one of my favorites, you know. The Golden Mouth. That's the Chrysostom, yes. the Golden Mouth and uh I I just I I I find not only that that I love reading his stuff but that it's still so accessible. There's a there's a little book that that St. Vladimir's Press put out uh, that collects his marriage, his sermons on, on marriage in, in one little thin volume. And for a while, I almost considered it, uh, and I may still do this one of these days, uh, for marriage prep, something I can hand out to couples. Because it's, you know, it's like, it's here it is, it's written all these centuries ago, and yet it, he could be speaking to us right this minute. It's yeah. very impressive. Yeah, his sermons are really good. I mean, they're you're right. There's a kind of timelessness to them. All right, Father Matt, we're in the season now of um, of craft brewers getting a little creative. I thought and you were going to say I Advent. Know, <laughs> what? Of I Advent. thought you were going to say Advent. No, not craft brewers. But go ahead. <laughs> since I know you enjoy beer from time to time, a chocolate stout. Or a pumpkin ale. You know, it gets a lot of hate, but I enjoy a pumpkin ale. Jonathan, Advent or Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think I gotta go with Christmas. Um, for the same reason I go with Batman over Robin, I gotta go with Christmas over Advent. Um, now, there is a, there is a argument I think you could make for Advent in that there's a sense in which Advent is the season that we live in all the time as Christians, right? Because it's a preparation not only for Christmas, but for the the uh, return of our Lord, for the uh, the consummation of all things. So there, so there is a way in which Advent is beautiful in and of itself. But really, the celebration of the incarnation uh, is so central uh, to uh, I was going to say to our faith, but just to like who we are as as human beings made in the image of god um it's it's hard to get more amazing than that so father matt frank zappa or tom waits frank zappa is very cool and definitely a, a gifted musician but i'm a huge tom waits fan if i if i did choose like who i'd listen to who i listen to more it's definitely tom waits uh i can listen to tom waits anytime anywhere and that would be the correct answer. You get a thousand points for that. <laughs> I saw this weird Tom Waits quote the other day that I that I kind of loved, where he he'd said, uh, just sort of speaking about the era we live in, he said, "Bad writing is ruining the quality of our suffering." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, that's that's true. It's it's weird, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this time. Uh, if you'd like to see some links to some of the rad stuff we talked about in today's program, I invite you to go check out the show page at godandcomics.com, and you can take another listen to the show while you're there. We are also uh, subscribable and downloadable. Is that a word? It is now. Through iTunes, and while you're on iTunes, we would love it if you would give us a rating and a review. 
it, it's really helpful. It helps other people to find the show, and we would thank you a thousand times over for it. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this moment, is by the one, the only, Father Paul Wheatley, whose only real crime is that he loves too much. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see ya.